I'm so grateful to be able to, uh, to speak this morning. Um, Sarah and I, our family, for those of you that don't know, uh, we are coming at the end of our missionary term, and we will be hopping on a plane in about five weeks to go back to Dallas, Texas. And uh, we hope to be there for a short amount of time. We don't really know how long, but the plan is to come back to Durban, because Durban is home. So uh, we love Durban. Thank you. Um, we love Durban. We love our pastors. We love the staff we get to work with. I love our interns. Woo! I love you guys. Uh, so we're excited to be able to um, go back and see some family, but at the same time, uh, transition is always tough as well. We were talking to some friends last night who live in Northeast Texas, and I was reminded how tough it was because of their accent. <laughs> Woo, Lord Jesus, help us. When they were like, you get over here and get that baby, I was like, I don't know what she's saying. <laughs> help me, Jesus. We're all going to go back and be like, you're not speaking properly, you know? So, <laughs> can I have some water? They're going to say, what? So it'll be, it'll be great. Looking forward to it. Uh, but this morning, I want to get straight to it, um, a message that, that really has been on my heart for quite some time, um, really just really for the past three to four years, if I'm, if I'm honest, um, that I've just been simmering over this and living in this. And uh, isn't the Spirit of God so tangible and real this morning? He's here. He's with us. I'm looking forward to what He wants to do at the end of service today as well. Uh, as I was thinking about this message, I was reminded of a time when I was in grade nine. I was 14 years old, and it was the spring of grade nine of our uh, year. And, and I decided to join the track team, track and field. I don't know why, probably because there was a pretty girl on the track team. And so I was like, yep, I can do that. I can run. No problem. And I remember we came to one of our track matches, the track meets that we had, and normally I would run the 1,600-meter race. That's the mile. Anybody know what that is? Yeah, you know what the mile is. Four laps around the track. I would run it in about four minutes. No, I'm kidding. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Um, and so I remember I would run the 1,600-meter race, and, and that was my race, and I enjoyed it, and I had fun with that. One day, our coach came to me at the beginning of the match, and he said, Aaron, uh, someone is sick who runs the 800 meter. That's two laps, right? He said, they are sick, they can't run, so do you think you could fill in and, and help us out and just, you know, be a, a person that runs it? And I was like, sure, you know, it's two laps less than the mile, of course, how hard can it be, Right? And I remember very, very specifically the coach who had a lot more experience than me, young people, old people, it's good to listen to people with more experience than us, right? He told me, he said, Aaron, now here's the thing, you run the 1600 meter, you run the mile, this is the 800 meter. It's a different pace than you're used to. And honestly, I shrugged him off, and I was like, okay, coach, thanks, I think I got this, you know. And I'll never forget, we started the race, and we did one lap, and after the first lap, I was in second place. And I was like, man, I'm just trucking along, I'm like, what's wrong with these guys? This is easy. And it was about halfway through the second lap, something happened to my legs. They stopped working. 
And all of a sudden, all of these people continue to just pass by me one after another, after another, and I'm just getting slower and slower, and I felt like Rose, you know, Jack, come back, you know, and I was like, please, what is going on? Because my mind was telling me yes, but my body was telling me no, okay? Anyway, something was messed up. It wouldn't work right. I got to like the last 50 meters and I am in dead last place. And I'm like, I just have to finish this because by this time, the girls are also watching and laughing, right? (laughs) Totally backfired on my plan. I get to the finish line and as I cross the finish line, my legs completely (laughs) buckle. I go Pee Wee Herman on them and just (laughs) like this. I fall down on the track and I literally cannot move. My friends, two of my guy friends that I had, they had to come, and and one uh, came under this shoulder and the other one come under this arm, and they had to literally carry me off of the track, and I never ran that race again. (laughs) That day, I actually didn't even get to run the mile, even though that was my race that I really, really, really enjoyed. And I learned something, and I I thought about it this week, and, and really have been thinking about it, preparing for this message, that... My coach knew what he was talking about, and I underestimated the fact that I needed a healthy pace to win the race. Ooh. I needed a healthy pace that would sustain me for the race that I was in. I don't know about you, but just for me, honest, if, I, if I'm being completely honest, when I come into this place sometimes on a Sunday morning and, and I'm like, okay, God, I really need you today and I worship you and I love you and I need that intimacy and I maybe have lacked the pace of intimacy, as Pastor Randy said, throughout the week and then I just rely on it for Sunday morning. But God is saying to us today, no matter what pace you came in here with, No matter if you're just trucking along and life and everything is great, God says, I'm here. It doesn't matter if you came into this place today and you're limping along and you're just trying to get to the next step, God says, I am here. It doesn't matter if you are crawling and you're just trying to see a finish line, but your eyes cannot see it, God says, I am here. No matter what pace you're running this morning, no matter where you're at in the race, the Lord is here with us. I've been learning that this pace is so important in my life. The the speed with which I move forward in life is vastly important. And it's not just a pace that I need to run a race in high school to impress a girl. No, no, no. It's a pace that I need to be able to finish well. I need a pace, I need a rhythm. That's what a pace is, it's a rhythm of life that we live, and I love y'all, but I've seen some of you try to clap on Sunday morning, and it's tough. (laughs) Thank God, Pastor Desra, we need you, right? Like, we're trying, we're trying hard. We need a rhythm by which we live. We need a rhythm of life by which we do things and we interact with others. And I don't think that I'm alone in this because it's so easy for us to get caught up in life. And one day you look up and you realize, I can't continue this pace. God, I'm running out of steam. 
God, I can't feel like, I, I don't feel like I can take another step. God, I don't know how to move forward. We hit exhaustion. We hit burnout. It happens all the time. I, it happens to me a lot. My body will tell me physically, time to rest, Aaron, <laughs> and I get sick. And it's like, time to chill. We hit burnout physically, mentally, emotionally. We need a pace of life. This morning, we're going to look at a passage that maybe you've heard before, maybe you haven't, but it's a, a pretty popular passage in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look at what the writer says about how we have a sustainable and intentional pace of life. How do we have that? This morning, we're going to talk about the race of faith. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start verses 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, it says this. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So you will not grow weary and lose heart. I felt it so strong in my spirit this week as I was praying and preparing that some of us came to this place and you are growing weary and you're growing weary and you're ready to give up and you're ready to throw in the towel. But I came to tell you this morning, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. The book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish audience that was tempted to give up. They were tempted to throw in the towel. They were ready to be done in the race of faith. And chapter 12, I love it. It starts with this interesting thought. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Now, how many of you know at North Place, Pastor Randy always teaches us, we always talk about, we read the Bible in its, yes, context. You said it. That's awesome. We read it in its context, right? So we don't just read one verse, but we got to understand, what are the verses around that verse saying? What is the chapter saying? What is the chapter before it and after it telling us? What is the whole book telling us? Chapter 12 really is continuing a thought from chapter 11. Chapter 11 in Hebrews is known as the faith chapter. Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then the rest of chapter 11, the writer will go on and he will give example after example of people of faith. He'll talk about Abraham and Moses and the Israelites and Joshua and Joseph and all of these different people who exhibited amazing faith. 
But then he gets to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 that we read. Remember, this was written all at one time. It wasn't separated, okay? And really, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it is the pinnacle of the entire section. It's the climax, if you will. It is the very, very, very point, the biggest point, the most impactful point that the author is trying to make. And the writer compares the Christian life to a race. He gives this picture of a race that is being ran. And we got to understand that I need a pace to win the race. The first thing that the writer teaches us about pace is this. It is in the race of faith, I am my greatest competition. How many of y'all like some good competition? Come on, don't be shy. Y'all are competitive. I know. It's okay. Yesterday at the, the foster care empowerment day, Ari, where are you at? She's here. I know. I'm sorry. Yes, you did a wonderful job. You and your team, wonderful jobs, Pastor Randy said. First thing she did was start us off with the game. And I was like, who do I need to beat? <laughs> like, let's go. What are we playing? I get extremely competitive, right? How many of y'all, like, you get competitive? In our house, we don't let the kids win. No, that ain't real life, baby. You ain't always going to win. And <laughs> Doss gets upset, <laughs> if you can imagine. We all like a little bit of good competition, just tell me who I need to beat. But in the race of faith, I need to beat me. I am my greatest competitor. He tells us, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Some translations of that say, let us throw off the weights. Why do you say that? Some say, let us strip off the weights. Here's why I said that. In the first century, the athletes would train by pulling weights behind them. How many of you did that in sport when you were growing up? Yep, okay. So they would actually pull weights behind them when they were training. And the author says, you're no longer in training, baby. You're running the race. And so get rid of the weight. And then he says to strip off those things. Actually, literally, when I was reading in the first century, they took this literally, and this is why he said this, they ran naked. Sure. <laughs> Just going to leave that there. So when he says, strip off everything, or not, not today, okay? <laughs> it's a metaphor, all right? <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> he means literally anything that is holding you back. See, in the race of faith, we must accept that I'm not competing with the person beside me or, the, or I'm not competing with my spouse. Ooh, some of y'all need to hear that. I'm not competing with my coworkers. I'm not competing with my enemies, my neighbors. I'm not competing with the church down the street or anything like that. But my greatest competition is me. Because you know the sins that trip you up. 
Let's deal with that first. He says, the sin, get rid of the sin. Now, specifically, many commentators, they believe that the writer referred to the sin of apostasy, which was the temptation for these Jewish Christians. All that means is that they were being willing, they were willing and being tempted to completely turn around on Jesus and say, you're not the son of God, I'm gonna go back to my Jewish ways and practices so that I can be saved. So he's telling them, get rid of the sin that entangles you. But let's go a little bit just beyond that because you and I know the sins that trip us up, the sins that entangle our feet and consistently cause us to fall in this race of faith. We love to bash the big ones, right? Sexual immorality. We love to bash those things, which by the way, in Greek is the word porneia, P-O-R-N-E-I. It's where we get the word pornography from, and it means a whole big list of sexual sins, okay? So we like to look at those, sexual immorality, murder, stealing, but what about lying? What about dishonesty? Jealousy or hatred or the one that got me this week as I was reading in Galatians, selfish ambitions. Just looking out for, none of us are perfect. Pastor Randy, man, thank you for your example. He stood up here this morning in communing and he confessed, Lord, if there's sin in me, there's no one in here without sin. No one. We all have things that trip us up. And the temptation is to go and hide, to run from your loving God who is pursuing you passionately every single day. And forgive us because many times the church has been bad about this because we just bash and we condemn and we put on shame on people rather than just saying, okay, if you're guilty, you're guilty, but that's okay. Your guilt does not exclude you from his invitation. Many times we tend to think that my struggle excludes me from the invitation of God, but that is nothing that is farther than the truth. Your struggle doesn't exclude you from his invitation. It emphasizes your need for it. It emphasizes the need when I consistently fall in some sin, whatever it may be, that God is not pushing me away, but just like he was with Adam and Eve in the garden, he's calling out and saying, I love you. Where are you? Don't go hide in your shame. Yes, you may be guilty, but I have paid the price for your guilt, so come to me. Come to him today. Don't run and hide in condemnation and shame, but run to your loving father. Your struggle doesn't exclude you. It emphasizes the need for his love. And it's interesting that the writer not only refers to the sin, but then he says everything that hinders. In other words, the weights. You see, those weights are the things that cause heaviness in our life. It's the things that you and I are not meant to carry not meant to carry them. What is weighing you down this morning that God has not called you to bear? The writer says to throw off everything. I thought about coming up with this list of possible weights, but then I realize I can't come up with everything. He says, throw off everything. 
I can't come up with a list. I don't know it. But here's the thing. I know the one who knows everything. So while I may be my greatest competition as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have the greatest one of all residing in me. Jesus said it, if you believe in me, if you do what I tell you to do, my father and I will come and we will make our home in your heart. The spirit of the living God lives in you as a follower of Jesus. And so he can point out to you, what are the weights that you're not meant to bear? It's so important for us to understand, what are the weights that I'm not meant to bear that I'm carrying, but also, what are the things that God has called me to bear and carry? At one point, I knew, okay, God, you're you're leading me to take this uh, course and do my master's degree. I knew God was leading me to that. It wasn't easy. (laughs) It was hard. It was difficult. It was a weight, but I knew God put me there. He hasn't called me to do a PhD. Thank you, Lord. Please don't speak to that. (laughs) Don't want to do that. I've watched two great friends go through that. One while planting a church. My goodness. Our pastor is a beast. I don't know if y'all know that. Speaking of running and pace, you should ask him. He's ran a marathon. Do y'all know that? Pastor Randy's a marathon runner. I might be my greatest competition, but the Holy Spirit lives in me. So while the flesh may be pulling me one way, and that's the greatest competition I face, the Spirit of God is saying, no, 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 that's just a surface desire that you have. Let me show you what's the greatest, deepest desire that's really going to bring you peace and fulfillment and happiness. The Spirit lives in us. We have a steady pace when we throw off weights and sin. The writer continues on, and he says this, he says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy, catch this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Run with perseverance. Persevere. Some translations of the New Testament will use that word for perseverance and endurance in the same way. They're the same word. Here's what it means. In the New Testament, it is the characteristic of one who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose and loyalty to the faith by even the greatest trials and suffering. You see, in the race of faith, perseverance is only possible with the right perspective. It's only possible with the right perspective. The author says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the perspective we have to have. He said that there was a joy set before him. Now, we got to understand, the joy was not the cross itself. It wasn't joyful. It was suffering to the max. It was physical suffering, emotional suffering, relational suffering. His closest friends abandoned him. Jesus suffered in his human body. 
We got to believe that. God fully dwelt in Jesus, as we'll see in a moment. He was both fully God and fully man at the same time. He suffered. And what we read earlier was he endured the cross. It's the same word as persevere. He tells you to persevere, and he says, well, how are you going to persevere? You fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your faith, and for the joy set before him, he endured, he persevered through the cross. See, Jesus didn't regard the cross itself as joy, but he was able to look past the cross and see what was going to be beyond it. He was able to see the joy beyond the suffering. I don't know about you, but I don't just love to suffer. Anybody? For all you people that really like to work out, you do, I guess. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I get it. It's discipline. I need to be disciplined. I know. <laughs> we don't like to suffer. I mean, let's be honest. No one loves pain and trials and hardships and all of those things that we go through. And really, there's, there's two extremes when it comes to our response to suffering. We can either shrug it off and we just pull ourselves up, we ignore it, or we just, we keep on going. You know, like, all right, we don't have time to cry, let's just keep going, ah, run, run, run. Some of us live like that when we suffer, when we face trials or pain, and we, we don't live in it for a moment to be able to persevere and understand what we're feeling. We just shrug it off, and we go in our own strength, and we're never allowing God to shape us through that suffering. We're not sitting in it for a little bit. So that's one extreme. We shrug it off. The other is we're crushed. We give up. It crushes us, and we don't know how to take another step at all. But what Jesus shows us is rather than ignoring or rather than shrugging it off, being crushed, that we persevere and we endure the hardship. Why? Because it is producing something good. You may not see the good right now. You may not even be able to understand the good right now, this side of eternity. But God knows what he is doing. And the Bible tells us that he is good. The psalmist says, how does he say that? Because the Lord, his mercy endures forever. And his faithfulness to every generation. Jesus knew the good that was to come because of the cross. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. What was the good? It says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, being Jesus, okay? All of the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus. We can't argue that. All of the fullness in God dwelt in Christ. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He was God. And through him to reconcile himself, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, look at this, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He made peace with us. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and you do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and in of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What does all that tell us? It tells us this. How was Jesus able to endure the cross? How was he able to persevere? How was he able to continue? It's because he endured the cross because he knew what it was going to produce. Jesus knew, he trusted his father in heaven. He knew that he would resurrect and that he would once again take his seat with his heavenly father. He knew that it would make a way for all of us, for all of humanity to be reconciled back to God. He had hope and hope is a powerful thing because you see in this race of faith, the promise of future hope will exhaust present pain. The promise of future hope will exhaust my present pain. So even though right now, baby, it's exhausting, I get it. Even though right now it is tough and it is hard and it's exhausting to you, when you run the race of faith, it can become exhausting. And I don't want to minimize that in any way. It's truth. It's reality. The same way that a runner gets exhausted and tired in a race, it happens to us as well spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. But the hope of the finish line can give you a new strength. I mean, think about it for a moment. The runner, when they start a race, they don't just wish the race will end, right? They know if I start this race that there is going to be a finish line, that at some point I'm going to come to the end. Listen, as we run the race of faith, even though we will encounter suffering along the way, we can still have hope. And man, this isn't hope like, well, I really hope my favorite team wins their match this week. Right? Or I really hope my wife will, will cook the dinner and the supper that I've been wanting for a while. It's okay, you can laugh. I'm just joking. This isn't a hope where it's like, you know what, man? I really hope load shedding doesn't go to stage, whatever. Right? <laughs> Wishful thinking. <laughs> this isn't that kind of hope. This is a different kind of hope. It is what we read about earlier. It's a confidence in what we cannot know. It's a confidence in the one who says, I will always be with you. It's an assurance inside of us of the one that we cannot see. There's an old song that used to say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We have a little piece of this hope in us right now, but it's nothing compared to the future hope that we will have when someday all of this is over and we stand before him and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. He knows it's hard because he's walked through it as Pastor Randy talked to us about over the last few weeks when we talked about escape plan in that series. Jesus knows he was tempted in every way that we were as well. 
We can have hope. It's a confidence, it's an assurance that we have. Listen, you may have come in here this morning and your, your pace in this race is not very well. <laughs> Maybe your rhythm's off. You're like, man, I just don't feel like I can keep going. I'm tired, and you're more than just tired. You're weary, you're exhausted. I don't want to minimize your present circumstances. I know it's real, but listen, hear me today. It won't last forever. It doesn't last forever. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a promise of eternity with him. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he deposits his spirit in you, and the spirit of God lives inside of you. Paul said, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in me. Do we get that? Do we understand the power of the spirit of God living within us? And it's just a small taste of the hope that is to come, the future of heaven. We will all close our eyes in this life. But it's why the word says that we don't have to mourn as those who have no hope. Because if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so I know when my heart stops in this life, even though it may have been tough and difficult and painful, one day I will look on the face of the one who gave it all for me. One day I will be able to bow down before him and take every crown that he gives me and throw it at his feet. One day it's coming. So keep running the race. Don't give up. I'm not giving up. Don't give up on your family. Don't give up. Don't give up on your lost loved ones. Don't give up on the dreams that God put in your heart. Man, don't just coast, but keep pushing for the vision and the dream that God has placed in you. Don't give up. Don't give up on your healing. I'm not giving up on mine. I'm not giving up on my family's. Don't give up. I'm not giving up on my city. I'm not giving up on Durban. I don't care what News 24 says every other hour that it's all going to crap. That's okay. I'm not giving up. Sorry, forgive me for saying the C word. (laughs) Whatever you do. Dude, just don't turn back. And it's the beauty of the Christian brotherhood and sisterhood that we have in this race of faith. You're not running it alone. You may have came in here today, and we're about to, the worst team's going to come in a minute, and we're going to pray. Our prayer team's going to be up here. You have brothers and sisters who want to help you. You may be dragging along or limping along today. They want to come alongside you and say, come on, let's do this thing together. Let's take another step together. That's why we have one another. It's why the Bible tells us to confess your sins one to another. It's a spiritual discipline that we've lost in the Protestant church because of the abuse of the church for hundreds of years. But it's biblical. I find people, brothers and sisters, that I can be real with. You know what I mean? 
I mean, be real with and be like, man, I am struggling. Life's hard. He says, bro, let me pray with you. Let's talk about this. They ask you questions. Woo. They actively listen. Make sure you come to discipleship pathway. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him. That word consider, it means to ponder. It means to meditate on him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. I can't even imagine the opposition that Jesus endured. Consider him so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Think about Jesus. Consider him. Whatever you do, don't give up. Don't turn back. Think about Jesus. If you look at it, he says, so that you will not grow weary. See, weariness grows. It doesn't just come all of a sudden, I'm weary, I'm ready to give up, done. No, it grows. And you got to cut it off. You got to uproot it. Pull that thing out. Consider Jesus, ponder on him. Don't give up. Everything that you are facing in your life right now has the promise of God that something good will come from it. Something good. And here's, I'm sorry if you've heard this wrong, but here's the reality. He gets to define the good, not me. not good when you have to suffer, when you have to watch others suffer around you, people you love. It's not too good. But it's the person that I respect who I know has gone through those things when they have suffered in life, they have went through trials and hardships, and they can still say, God, you are good. You are good. I may not understand it this side of eternity, but you are good. He gets to define it. 